0: hello hello and hey, welcome back Kat. <laughs> thank you yeah it's good to see you again Sammy. yeah this time not in the parking lot yeah
1: <laughs> and there's no major snowstorm too right i hope yeah, right yeah. <laughs>
0: well, yeah the last time i talked to sammy i was like i'm stuck in a parking lot and there's a snowstorm is it okay if i take the zoom like in my car so yeah
1: mm-hmm. all right there we go <laughs> Yo! Welcome to my Summer Lair. I'm your host, Sammy. The NHL has a team called the Canadians and another team called the Canucks. But isn't that all the same thing? You History lesson, kids. On the evening of June 15, 2011, Vancouver erupted in fire. It all started on June 1st, 2011, with Game 1 of the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. I know I'm a basketball guy, but stay with me. This is going to be a bunch of hockey, but it's not that painful. The Vancouver Canucks had home ice advantage in the finals. They were a reward as the team that finished with the best regular season record. They were facing the Boston Bruins, who went into the finals with a 39-year Stanley Cup drought. Quickly, the Canucks won the first two games to go up 2-0 on the Bruins. Things are looking good. Then the series shifted to Boston at the TD Garden, the same arena where the Celtics play. See? Basketball guy. Once again, the home team triumphed in Games 3 and 4. Boston defeated Vancouver, including a shutout in Game 4. Now the series is tied at 2. The remaining three games would be played in Vancouver. Boston, if need be, then the dreaded Game 7 in Vancouver. It needed to be. Once again, the Canucks won at home, and so did the Bruins, which triggered at Game 7. Game 7 is one of the most thrilling phrases in all of sports, as thrilling as all-day breakfast, yet as anxiety-producing as an all-you-can-eat buffet. Yes, the Canucks had home ice, but history was not on their side. The Canucks joined the Hockey League in 1970 as an expansion team along with the Buffalo Sabres. In its NHL history, the team has advanced to the Stanley Cup Finals three times, losing to the New York Islanders in 1982 the New York Rangers in 1994, and yet here, in 2011, they were a Game 7 away from defeating the Boston Bruins. History triumphed when the Vancouver Canucks not only lost Game 7, but were shut out. They didn't even score a goal in the decisive all-on-the-line Game 7 NHL Stanley Cup Final game. More history happened, like in 1994, when they lost that NHL Finals to the Rangers, The city erupted in a riot. (sighs) 2011 was no different. Another bitter finals loss prompted an angry outpouring of dark energy. The stark difference between 1994 and 2011 was 2011 was a smartphone riot. Many participants in the riot stood and posed for photographs, with some even posting the photos on their own social media accounts. Hashtag, look at me. I'm rioting. Photos and videos were also taken by onlookers intent on documenting the riot. The police were overwhelmed. The riot itself was just under 5 hours. That was quelled quickly enough. But now to sift through all the photos and videos to tag and identify the looters and the rioters was arduous work yet so fruitful. Over 300 people were successfully identified and charged from the social media bounty. This is the basic backdrop of the 30 for 30 documentary I'm Just Here for the Riot, directed by AJ Youngman and Kathleen Jamie. This ESPN documentary chronicles the aftermath of the physical riot in Vancouver streets, where now the mob mentality has cruelly shifted to an online presence. Despicable online hunting meant the rioters were outed, doxed, shamed, and some had their lives altered forever. Some even receive death threats. Like, yo, why? How are death threats or posting somebody's home address justice? That's, that's not how justice works. This stuff bugs me. It's one of the cruelest things we do it is dehumanization. It's us versus them. Which I guess in a way is what all sports is. Us versus them, right? Here now to better unpack the themes of this 30 for 30 are the directors AJ Youngman and Kathleen Jamie
0: sound the final frontier my summer lair is an enterprise a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers to boldly go where no podcast has gone before and now here is your host Sammy unan
1: uh since there are two of you i'm going to have you introduce yourselves just so audiences can hear your voice but tell me, in your from your perspective, what makes a perfect day in Vancouver? Is there a place that you like to go? Is there something like uh, type of food you like to eat? Like, what makes a perfect day uh, for you in Vancouver? So, introduce your name and your perfect Vancouver day.
2: Uh, my name is Asia Youngman. I am the co-director of "I'm Just Here for the Riot." Um, my perfect day in Vancouver would definitely be sunshine, which we don't get a lot of. Um, but, you know, when we do, I love to go for walks on the seawall, just have a coffee in hand, you know, definitely get some sushi. We have great sushi here in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: friends. Um, and, yeah, just get outside.
1: Nice. That's a good day.
0: And I'm Kat Jamie, also uh, one of the co-directors of I'm Just Here for the Riot. And, yeah, AJ, that's pretty much my perfect day. It's, you know, it's a summer day in Vancouver when the sun is out. Um hanging out with friends by the beach and then going to get some ramen because I I still love ramen even in the summer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. There you go. I like how both of it has a little bit of nature and a little bit of food. Yeah. Yeah, the essentials. Yeah, basically. Yeah. For your documentary, like, so this is a 30 for 30 and generally a lot of 30 for 30s focus on the athletes that we kind of champion about Bo Jackson, Reggie Miller, uh, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky. This one focuses more on hockey fans, and that's a notable shift. I'm curious what your pitch was like to ESPN.
0: Well, I, I you know I think what I love about ESPN is that um, ESPN 30 for 30s in particular is that you know it's it's a sports it's a it's a a topic that is told from uh, and the way into that topic is from like a, a sports story. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why when Asia and I were talking about this film and we were like, I feel like the best place for this kind of story would be a 30 for 30 because it's actually, it's not about hockey, right? Like really it's about the riot and what happened on social media. So like sports is the entry point, but there's so much more that we want to talk about and discuss. And so, yeah, I think that's why we, we the dream was always a 30 for 30 and uh, we're just, yeah, we're really lucky and uh, grateful that that's where, you know, the film ended up landing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Just to add to that, too, like I think when in the very early conversations with the former director of development, Adam Newhouse, like he was so excited about a film about social media. Like they had been looking to do a 30 for 30 um, that really explored that subject matter. And so I think it was, you know, a mixture of the right timing just for both like um, what they were looking for and, and kind of what Kat and I were bringing forward in terms of uh, a project. And so I think, too, just because of the, the amount of time that had passed with the 2011 Santa Kapaki riot. Um, sort of just what was happening in the world. Um, I think everything kind of just aligned uh, perfectly with with timing.
1: Yeah, it's about time, as you said, like for a sports documentary to kind of start exploring some of the social media aspects, right? Like I know NBA players will sometimes look at their uh, Twitter feeds during halftime and see how they're doing and if people like what they're doing. that kind of thing and then like we also get all these stories now of like you know when somebody's in a free agent like they unfollow the team on instagram or on twitter and it's like oh no they're gonna leave <laughs> right like so it's starting to have a lot more traction i guess right in terms of like how we view uh, sports through a social media lens
0: yeah no exactly um i think social media especially you know Nowadays, with the what cancel culture has become, you know, in twenty eleven, what what's interesting in twenty eleven was that social media was just brand new, mm-hmm. and that's why um, people <laughs> weren't putting two and two together. That hey, you know, I'm taking photos of of myself writing, of my friends writing. I'm writing, you know, I'm I'm updating my Facebook status, and I'm t- I'm telling, sharing with everyone what I'm doing. They actually they didn't understand at that time. they were doing and what they were doing was actually incriminating themselves and so that disconnect obviously now looking back it's so easy for us to say well that's so sit like you know what were they thinking I'm i'm actually (laughs) now just like kind of spitting lines from (laughs) i've watched the film so many times right Mm -hmm. uh, now but um no and so that's why i think this was it's it was the it now as they just said it's it was kind of like the perfect time to tell this story to actually discuss all these things that are happening in social media and how cancel culture has has evolved since 2011 into the kind of what it is now that we we see pretty much happen happening every day
1: yeah to give it some context of what you're talking about like this riot was 2011 but instagram only came out in 2010 so this is like barely a year old right and like the iphone came out in 2007 so these are a few years just after all these kind of major shifts have happened but as you said cat like we we haven't really processed what these shifts are and so when people are rioting they're just taking photos and videos of themselves so how did you guys decide like what to show in terms of the the riot itself because there was like thousands of hours of video and all kinds of photos uh news footage as well so what was your north star was there something that you really want to show or is there something that you didn't really want to show
2: it was certainly hard to shift through all the footage like we had you know probably just hours and hours of different footage like we were very fortunate to um have some people come forward and say you know i have i, I was filming downtown i have this footage no one's ever seen it it's just been sitting on a hard drive for like 10 years mm-hmm. and they're going to, to share with us. So we were really lucky just to get some incredible never before seen footage. Um, but I think for us, really, we wanted to immerse people in that night. Um, and that's kind of how we start the film, right? We, we want people to feel um, sort of what was felt for people that were downtown and just the chaos and the sounds and and just like the energy that was in the air. Um, so we just, I guess, the, I think we just wanted to show how extreme it was, um, especially for people who Maybe don't know too much about Vancouver. Who don't know too much about Canada? I think it might be for some people, you know, outside of Canada, to see like this is how we have behaved and how we can behave if we lose a hockey game yeah. um, for the second so. time as well. Exactly. exactly. Yeah.
1: There was a '94 uh, riot, I guess. Like, I didn't realize, I didn't know about the '94 riot. I was around, but I just don't remember ever hearing about it or seeing about it. But I remember this like 2011 riot.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Oh no! I know, I I think you hit it. Like we wanted the riot. Um. We wanted the when when audiences watch the riot to feel like they were there that night. And I will have. To, I I've seen the film so many times. Obviously, um, through the editing process and um. I will still get notifications like my my eye watch will like go off to be like after the ride sequence it'll be like your heart rate jumped like you know like it jumped during this like you know while you were sitting down or whatever so i've seen it so many times and and the footage and the way that our editor greg ing has put it together just really like makes you feel like that like you're you're right there and uh, that was sort of always our, our the goal with the film, and especially when uh, when we talk about the riot, was like we want audiences, especially those like Asia said, especially those who who weren't there that night, because um, I feel like you really and in order to understand like the gravity of the riots, you ha- and why everyone was so mad, you have to understand what it was like to actually see see everything and all the disturbing and and. Um, wild things that happened, you know, over the course of the, i like, I think it was like three hours, the riot lasted or something like that. So, so yeah, it was, it was our goal to make it as much of a visceral experience as possible.
1: Part of that visceral experience, though, was and I, I this was also kind of interesting, too, to see it was you kind of dismissed the idea of a mob mentality because you have a, a bunch of footage of people like standing up for Vancouver, basically, and like, don't mm-hmm. destroy this building. Don't destroy this car. And they were trying to, like, calm riders down. Of course, it was a mostly losing causes because everyone was like at that point full on like riding and like either drunk or high or whatever it was. But that like that idea too was like, was that encouraging for you as people who live in Vancouver to see also that good side? Cause this was a really kind of dark chapter for Vancouver.
2: Yeah. I think it was really important for Kat and I just to show a multitude of perspectives. Cause we never wanted to finger point or blame anyone for why this happened, but just kind of gain an understanding by seeing, you know, um, perspectives from everyone. So I think for us, like we wanted to show that it wasn't all bad. Like there, there were standing up, um, and I think the interesting thing about challenging mom mentality is that I think it's so easy to kind of blame, you know, an idea for for someone's behavior. Um, but then, of course, there's people who counter that and they're saying, "Well, I was downtown and I was doing this and that, and I didn't riot." Um, so I think it, it's important to see both sides of things. You know, we, we don't want to, you know, give a free pass to anyone who actually, you know, did riot. But we also just wanted to. To understand that, you know, a lot of these were young people, they were caught up in the moment, they were excited, they made a very bad decision um, that affected their life. And I think that's a big theme for us is just kind of understanding the mistakes that make us human um, and just understanding kind of what has happened in history so that it hopefully doesn't happen again. Because, of course, like you mentioned, Sammy, it's happened twice in Vancouver, so <laughs> we don't want a third. Uh,
1: a third, <laughs> Yeah, it's a weird BC tradition, I guess, right? Like you want that in a tradition. <laughs> No, we're not proud of it no and then this idea of, of what you're saying Asia of like making mistakes and learning from it how did you approach the people that are in the documentary that are like that rioted obviously and now are still dealing with the consequences of their actions did people want to tell their story or were they like reluctant did you get a lot of no's because of the shame involved or how how was that approach like
0: it was kind of a all of the above, <laughs> Sammy. There's, you know, a lot of people that Asia and I tried to get, but, you know, um, a lot of people declined. A lot of people just never responded. Um, but, you know, we, we still were able to, to... We managed to get a handful of people who were involved with the riots um, say yes and trust us. And that took a lot of, you know, a lot of work, a lot of relationship building, a lot of trust building, which, of course, is what a job of every documentary filmmaker is. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it was, I, I, I feel like, you know, all, all the writers who were involved in the, in the film, I, I just, I, you know, I have to commend them and as for them being just really brave for, for all, after all these years coming forward and sharing their stories, um, and just sharing their, their, their perspective and what actually happened. And that was kind of what age and I kind of pitched to them when we, when we first made contact and we said, you know, we, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to point, point fingers or, you know, point blame at anyone. Um, That's not the, the intention of this film. The intention of this film is we just really want to try to understand what happened and hopefully, you know, make audiences understand what you, like what it was going through your mind that night and the days after. And that's kind of, I think why so many people said yes to us is because they, First of all, obviously they trusted Asia and I, but they they felt like this was, you know, we wanted to make sure that it was a safe space for them to share their story. And uh, it was definitely like an open conversation throughout, even after the interviews, like Asia and I would check in on with the with the our subjects who were part of the riot, and we we'd have discussions with them about, okay, what are you comfortable with? let us know if there's anything that you know are you having second thoughts about this or or like hey like we are including this are you okay with it so we wanted to make sure that it was an open conversation and that they felt okay with kind of the topics that we would be discussing um yeah,
2: yeah just to add to that you know i think the fear with some of the folks that we interviewed was that they didn't want to relive this again you know they've moved on since they put this behind them you know, they learned a lot from what they did, but they just they don't want to have to go through that again. Um, so we really just worked with them, you know, for some of their interviews, we agreed to use a different name. We agreed to hide their identities. We showed them the frame before we even started shooting. Um, like Kat said, you know, we reached out and said, Hey, like, are you okay if we do this? And this is what's included in the film and and those sorts of things. So we just really wanted to be transparent with people because, you know, of course, for Kat and I, like a, a huge fear for us is that we would never want someone else in the film to kind of go through that again and, and have it like have a huge effect on their life. Like it did. So we were really conscious of that. Um, but on the opposite side is that some people just came forward and they just felt like, you know, I, I have the story, I'm ready to share it. And we were just so lucky that people trusted us um, to tell their story. So it was a bit of a mixture um, with Kat and I doing a lot of convincing, doing a lot of research. Um, and then also just having some people who, who wanted to come forward and share.
1: Yeah, and part of the consequences that you guys are talking about, it's not just like you rioted or you broke some windows uh, in downtown Vancouver and then obviously you got arrested or paid a fine or whatever it was. There was also then like the response of the online mob as well. So... It was almost like two different mobs in a sense, uh, which is what the documentary is showing. The first mob is obviously the one that rioted downtown Vancouver. And the second one is this kind of like toxic mob where people were exposing like, like their home address or calling them directly, find out their phone number and then calling them and harassing them. Like, how was, like, I guess what I'm asking is like, in terms of showing that, how would you describe like the experience like, because it just it feels like an unrelenting mob right like like you said cat the the vancouver mob uh was only three hours and that was like a beginning middle and end this Uh online mob like can like continued for like months and sometimes even years after it's still on google searches what Uh is it like to live with that kind of tension and trauma i guess (laughs)
0: sorry
2: we're we always looking at each other to say who's gonna go. Okay. Uh, I'll just, go ahead, I guess, yeah. I'll start. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think very early on when Kat and I were pitching the film, we always saw the online mob as its own kind of riot in a sense. It's almost like we're looking at the physical riot that happened on the streets, but then we're also looking at the online riot that happened um, through social media. So we really wanted to kind of show both sides, but I think you know what people talk about in the film is that the online riot was so much worse um kind of than the repercussions of what they did in the physical riot Mm -hmm. um i think you you see other perspectives too or people maybe uh, well it's just words you know it's it's just social media blah 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 but like no i i think you know those words really can have a, a huge detrimental effect on a person and i think especially nowadays right where we really just kind of use social media in all aspects of our lives um I think it's important to show that, you know, you can look at a physical ride and the people who became involved and the people who were documenting and staying and watching and cheering people on. Um, but then you can also look at what's happening online. And because everyone's sort of hidden by a computer um, I think they feel like they can just really kind of come out and, and take down a person without really understanding the full story, what happened, maybe understanding um, what's going on in that person's lives or their history. And um how their past experiences have maybe affected some of their their choices in their life. So I think for us, we really just wanted to hopefully get give audiences both sides of it. And hopefully, audience will take away um, sort of and reflect on what they would do in a situation like that.
1: One of the people that's a surprise in the documentary is uh, John Ronson. Uh, he's uh, super British. He's a really cool writer. Uh, <laughs> yeah what was the decision to approach him and then like uh and just for people who don't know who he is can you just kind of give a snapshot of who he is and what he contributed to the doc
0: so we um the idea to interview John Ronson came from one of our subjects who so John Ronson uh, is a writer and a director um um who has made yeah like um, some amazing uh amazing films and I, I, he's also a podcaster right mm-hmm. Asia, is that yeah. He's not a
2: director. He's a, he's a screenwriter though. Okay. And
0: screenwriter. okay. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and he wrote a book called, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. And our, one of our subjects, um, th- when we were doing our initial sort of uh, uh, research call had said, I, I read this book that really helped me in, you know, during the aftermath of being social media um, shamed online um, and so, yeah, so Asia and I read the book and we were like, you know, it would be so great to have John's perspective because he's obviously someone who has researched this topic in depth. And, um, there's so many great theories that he talks about in his book that I feel like Asia and I used in our research and used to craft the questions that we had when we were, when we were interviewing our subjects. And so, yeah, so ESPN helped us get connected with him and Asia and I wrote him like a, a an email that kind of pitched to him why we thought he, his voice would be integral to the story and and thankfully John said yes um, and uh, we like Asia was able to we we both went to to New York and Asia was able to interview him um, and he was great Asia do you want to <laughs> add anything about our our awesome friend John I think that covered most of it I mean I wish we could have included
2: more of his perspective in the film because he just has he's so many interesting things to say he's also just so funny like even the tidbits that you see of him in the film like mm-hmm. he always makes. Like I love his demeanor.
1: Uh, very um, dry British wit.
2: Yes. Yeah. He's just a wonderful person. We we're very lucky to get him on board. I think initially he had some hesitations because he wasn't that familiar with what happened. Um, and I think he felt like he wasn't sure that his perspective would kind of align with um what we were focusing on. But I think, you know, we got on a phone call with him and explained sort of the story and and how some of the, the things that he discussed in his book really kind of were parallel with um some of the writers stories of, of how they were kind of shamed online. So I think, you know, he, he kind of was willing to chat with us. So we were very fortunate to get him on board.
1: That Asia, I want to ask you a specific question. I hope it's not too difficult because you've in the past talked to in other interviews about being bullied when you were growing up and like, is the, is the way that the rioters were shamed online, is that kind of similar to the way that you were bullied growing up? Or is there like, has it kind of evolved now into a little bit more insidious, right? Where people are trying to like put somebody's home address online and those kind of things. Like there's a little mm-hmm. bit more evil, I guess. Has bullying evolved, I guess, is what I'm asking in a weird way.
2: That's a really interesting question, Sammy. I never really thought of that when I when I kind of was thinking about this film, like, I think for me, like I studied psychology and sociology in my undergrad at university. And I think I was always just a little bit curious about people and society and why we do the things we do. Um, but I guess, yeah, thinking about kind of my own childhood, like certainly social media was very different when I was growing up. Um, like we had like MSN and, and those types mm-hmm. of things next MySpace, whatever was around. <laughs> um, of course, yeah, you, you, you kind of deal with, um, you know, certain things that people say and in all forms of social media. Um, I think for myself, it was more kind of like directly, like when I was in high school, like I'm indigenous. I was the only indigenous kid at my school. Um and kids can be pretty mean. And I think um because I didn't really have anyone who looked like me growing up, it was really hard for me just to kind of um be in that environment and really just gain an understanding of my own identity as an indigenous person um, and my connection to my culture. So, I did struggle with that a lot growing up. Um, you know, kids are racist, uh, kids are mean. Um, so I think, I guess maybe in, in some aspects, like thinking about the stories of, the, of these people who experienced this, this form of bullying online, I think for me, it kind of struck a chord because, you know, I, I did experience that in a different way, of course. and um, But it, it still is bullying. And so I think that maybe has given me a little bit more of like an empathetic, lens uh with this type of story and just kind of giving people a little bit of a not a pass but just understanding people and we all make mistakes and we all hopefully learn from those mistakes and i think that's the most important thing
1: you're talking about grace sorry you're talking about grace right like Uh, you know what i mean like recognize that somebody's not perfect and they're going to slip up and i think that was kind of one of the themes that run through some of the the writers interviews that you guys did were like they they're ashamed of their actions. But at the same time, they were like, look, I screwed up. Like, I shouldn't have to continually face consequences for like one stupid mistake. Right? Like, there should be a limit where like, you know, just because you're guilty for this one crime doesn't mean you're guilty, quote unquote, forever, if that makes sense.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. And I think when we're talking to some people, too, we always ask the question, like, did you make mistakes when you're younger? Like, did you kind of do things like this? And pretty much everyone said yes to some degree, but of course it just wasn't recorded. And that's the big thing, right? Like everyone makes mistakes, but maybe not all those mistakes are recorded and put online and, and shared amongst like a community. So I think that is really the difference is that social media just played such a huge role in that. And just like smartphones, right? It's considered the first smartphone riot. And I think that's why it was so heavily documented and shared online.
1: So to wrap this up then, you guys have kind of touched upon this a little bit, but like, I don't want to sound like a sitcom, but what kind of takeaways do you want people to who watch the documentary, what kind of takeaways you want them to have about accountability, uh, responsibility in the age of social media? Because obviously, like, people are participating in these online mobs and they feel that it's justice or that it's justified or right or whatever it is. I don't know the the lens they're viewing it from. So, what is it that you want people to kind of take away from this documentary?
0: I think. Well, one of the goals that we had was to make audiences think twice about when ju- when when judging the riders, the people who are who participate in the riot. Right? Like, I feel like prior to, you know, like I mean, currently, I feel like the consensus, the the the, the majority of the consensus is that these people were just dumb idiots and. Uh, that's something that I would never have done. But I think the goal of the film is to really put audiences, you know, in the the night of the riot and actually make them question, okay, actually like, wait a second, had I been down there that night, could I have gotten swept up? And like, you know, and and it's not as black and white as, as we, people make it out to be. So I think that's like one of the first things that we, we would love audiences to come out, um, you know, when they, after they watch the film, I also think that, um, we want, like, I think that, I think this film, uh, we would love if this film could spark, you know, a conversation about how we behave online. And I feel like what happened, you know, in 2011 is such a great example of the dangers of social media shaming um and what can ha- and how devastating it can be for for some people and how hard it is you know for people to to recover after that obviously not giving a pass to people who did who do terrible things and who are caught and you know it's posted online but i think it you know like there we we do interview a few experts and like you know things there are nuances to things that don't get to that are not revealed when we just shame people online and actually like, do, is that the best way to go about, um, handling some of these situations? Like I, I, I maybe yes, maybe no, maybe sometimes like it, it is a great area. So I just feel like, but it, but we need to have a bigger conversation about all these topics. Um, especially because cancel culture is just part of our daily lives now. So I do think, I do hope that, or we hope that, you know, this film does spark these, 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 the bigger conversations that we need to be having, um, because we see what happened in 2011, the first time it happened. And I don't think that, I don't think, I'm not sure what we've, you know, if things have changed since then. And if, you know, maybe policies need to be enacted, maybe more educational tools need to be, uh, forward for for kids who are now using social media every day like i didn't have social media in high school um i don't th- i don't remember. i don't think i did maybe in grade 12 um but um yeah so I, I think that's what my takeaway uh my hope for audiences to take away from this film would be
1: i think this is the problem too is that when you go online uh, people have a different uh definition of justice and i think that's where sometimes things break down because they feel like whatever was that the the punishment that they got for like the legal punishment that they got for the for writing wasn't quoted enough but it's also i find it always weird when people not just i mean you've if you've read like john ronson's book like there's all kinds of different incidences where people will call up somebody and try and get them fired or leave an actual like voicemail and i couldn't ever imagine getting to the point where you can feel comfortable to like leave a voicemail or like a death threat to somebody and believe that somehow that is justice for mm. their actions and i think sometimes that's where things break down as well because we don't have a uniform Definition of justice. That we not that we have a uniform definition for most of the words we use, though.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what there's so many different degrees of it, right? Because I think what we've seen, especially in the past few years, is that social media is really powerful. I think for maybe giving voice to certain communities and marginalized communities who might not get justice in their own way. And I think I think it's been used to really kind of highlight some of the injustices that have happened. Um, But all to various degrees, right? And I think we just have to really kind of be mindful and aware of of how we behave online um, and, and just kind of make sure that, yeah, we're we're just kind of not going in and taking down a person and, and just releasing all our anger and frustrations and, um, you know, using words that can really leave an effect, a lasting effect on a person for a lifetime.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it too, because I think sometimes we don't also realize the impact of what we're saying or what we're doing. Right? Like you don't, I think sometimes it's the dehumanization sometimes of all this, right? Where like, you just see that person completely as a writer. And I I like that part in your documentary where you kind of contrast like there was the one guy who wanted to go to medical school and he was he had struggles in terms of going to medical school. Another guy was uh, uh um it was called was he a no dirt bike dirt bike rider right? And he lost his like sponsorships and things like that. Like so you don't realize too like the full impact and the consequences of your actions as the online mob. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
2: Yeah, we really wanted to humanize people and and just make sure that people understand like you know when you're seeing all the backlash of what happened online like there's a person behind that like there's a person with feelings there's a person with these experiences like they could have been going through their own things and yeah like i said most of the people were just very young people right they were still learning they were still growing um they just got caught up they made that bad decision it was documented and it just had a a whole you know lasting effect on their life
1: so last question has this had a impact still on vancouver i've been to vancouver since 2011 i don't feel it but like you guys live there and you're in these communities has this had does this riot the smartphone riot has it had an impact uh on vancouver and the vancouver communities
0: yeah i we i feel like we've been put in like a timeout um when the, when the raptors were Uh, In the championship uh, series finals in 2019, we were the only city that wasn't allowed a Jurassic Park uh, like viewing. Yeah, so every you know how there's many cities who watch the game online to replicate what you guys have in Toronto. We weren't allowed that, and so obviously because you know um, I don't think we're trusted to be able to watch a sports game <laughs> together downtown yet without the fear of a riot breaking out because this has happened twice now. And it it, it so, and I think part of the reason is because we haven't really, like we never, we've never discussed what happened in 2011. I don't think on like a, on like a bigger scale. And so this is, you know, age and I are excited to finally be able to, to share the story and hopefully spark conversations in Vancouver because it really kind of got swept under the rug. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we feel like it got swept under the rug.
1: All right. So, the documentaries, I'm just here for the riot, and it's playing at Hot Docs. And it's a 30 for 30. So, it should be on ESPN and TSN like soon, right? You guys have a date or not yet? Not yet, but yes, people can expect it on ESPN in the future. Okay. That's great. Way to go, guys. Like, uh, and I know Kat, too. Like, you've been making, like, Vancouver doc after Vancouver doc. So to finally, like, tell the story and, like, because this is an odd chapter in Vancouver history. So for you to kind of contribute to that as well, it's pretty cool.
0: Thanks, Samia. And thanks for having us. Mm-hmm. That's it. Well, uh, well, thanks. Thanks, Thank you for having us.
1: Yo, that was directors Asia Youngman and Kathleen Jamie talking about their 30 for 30 documentary, I'm Just Here for the Riot. You can see I'm Just Here for the Riot at Hot Docs. You can also see it at the Vancouver International Film Festival and a number of other film festivals before it airs on TSN or ESPN, depending on when you listen to this. What online shamings or bullying have you participated in? I'm not going to quite answer that question, but I will tell you that here are some nasty online shamings that I did not participate in. In some cases, I flat out refused. I just, I couldn't get behind. Uh, I refused to participate in them. Michael Jackson, Kanye West, Tiger Woods, Phil Spector, Justine Seiko, Monica Lewinsky, countless others it's like that's a mix of like famous people and like regular people in this interview with asia and kathleen we talked about john ronson and his 2015 book so you've been publicly shamed it's a fantastic book if you haven't read it you really need to check it out even if you've never been publicly shamed there's a i'm going to paraphrase mostly a quote from page 134 all the people involved thought they were doing something good but they only reveal that our imagination is so limited. Our arsenal of potential responses so narrow that the only thing anyone can think of to do with an inappropriate shamer is punish her with shaming. That's it, we've got nothing. Like, there's simply no way I can get behind that concept. That's gross, that's wrong, that's not justice. No, no, we need stronger definitions of justice. Justice takes work, justice takes effort. Justice is a paradigm. Like, love just as bigger than we imagine it or allow it to be. There's nothing inspiring about shame. It's why you'll never see shame in a Spike Lee Nike ad. You know what I mean? Look, everybody knows they should go to the gym. Everybody knows they should eat better. And everybody knows overall they should make choices that accurately reflect the depth and love of self. Much like a Nike shoe, right? Just do it. However, we don't. McDonald's continues to boom and every January we sign up for the gym only to drop off by February. Shame is synonymous with how we live because deep down we know we should live better. We should be better. There's always shoulds and couldas. Most of us already know what to do. We're just not doing it. That's why sometimes, or even a lot of the times, nobody needs the worthless two cents of the online commentary in this economy, feedback from total strangers is it, it has zero value, even if it does occasionally destroy lives. The news naturally focuses on the riot. That's the sexy stuff that drives traffic. But it doesn't matter if it's the 1992 Los Angeles riots or the 2011 Vancouver Stanley Cup riot. There is an aftermath. There's always going to be an aftermath. I'm just here for the riot. It is about the riot, but it's also about the aftermath, and that is shocking. How do you balance regret with shame? How do you rebuild, forgive, and try to find something meaningful in the aftermath? I like that this is a 30 for 30 because sports, more than anything, truly unites us. Sure, some people are getting on the bandwagons as a team, be it NBA or NHL, races towards the finals, but sports brings us together. We can collectively cheer. We have more faith than Easter Mass in Rome and hope, oh man, Hope is hard, but the rewards of hope are a rich dividend. I've taken up a lot of your time. Let's talk more about this. I have a Substack newsletter called My Pal Sammy. You can go to mysummerlayer.com slash subscribe. mysummerlayer.com slash subscribe. Please sign up, if only because... actually, I don't really have, <laughs> I don't have a good reason today. Uh, you know what? Because it's a nice thing to do. As much as all this thing we've been talking about with all this online billing and the people being mean, whatever, this is something that you can do that is really nice and will mean a lot to me. There you go. That's not bad. MySummerLayer.com slash subscribe. Thank you for listening to me in a Netflix world. I'm just here for the riot, yo.